This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell, the author of the novel The Good Lieutenant. And I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Sugi, author of the forthcoming novel Brotherless Night. Do you have any uh, frenemies? I'm not answering that. <laughs> You're good. What? You think you could just do a Trump and, and take the fifth 440 times? Because we're going to have some questions about this is during this podcast. All I'm prepared to say is that I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Sugi, author of the forthcoming novel Brotherless Night. <laughs> and I'm taking advantage of my constitutional right against self-incrimination. Is that the other part of this? <laughs> I have nothing, no comment at this time. All right. Well, um, all I could, you know, Trump probably would take the fifth in the same situation because he has a large number of frenemies. Uh, you could say that Bill Barr counts as a frenemy. Uh, his former attorney, Michael Cohen, would count as a frenemy. Maybe members of his own family would count as frenemies. I always think of Senator Joe Manchin when I think of frenemies because people are always comparing him to Lucy from Charlie Brown. He holds the football in place for the Democratic Party to kick it and then yanks it away and then puts it back in place and the Democratic Party tees up again and I feel like our political world is full of characters like this, um, but so is our literature, I think, more and more in recent years. And so today we're going to talk about frenemies, real and imagined, literary and political, with our special guest, Yiyun Lee, who is returning to the show to discuss her new novel, The Book of Goose. Yiyun is the author of six previous works of fiction, Must I Go, Where Reasons End, Kinder Than Solitude, A Thousand Years of Good Prayers, The Vagrants, and Gold Boy. Emerald Girl, and the memoir, Dear Friend from My Life, I Write to You in Your Life. That's her dog, who's also going to be on the show. Um, she is the recipient of many awards, including the Penn Malamud Award, the Penn Hemingway Award, the Penn Jean Stein Book Award, a MacArthur Fellowship, and a Wyndham Campbell Prize. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, A Public Space, The Best American Short Stories, and the Penn O. Henry Prize Stories. Among other publications, she teaches at Princeton University, my alma mater, where she is now the director of the program in creative writing. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and I apologize for that dog. <laughs> it's great to have you with us again. Um, your novel centers on two girls who grow up in the French countryside together, Agnes and Fabienne. They play a series of imaginative games concocted by Fabienne that lead to Agnes becoming a famous, becoming famous as the author of a book that truthfully the two of them have written together. 
You last came on the show with Bridget Hughes almost exactly a year ago to talk about Tol Tolstoy together. You've often spoke about, spoken about the inspiration you found in reading other people. And this book I saw in Publishers Weekly began with you um, reading Elizabeth Bowen, whose reviews of novels by French teenagers led you to the information that one of them was a fraud. Could you talk a little bit about that and how that led to the invention not only of Agnes, but of Fabienne? Yes, so it was an old review of Bowen, you know, just summarizing four French child prodigies were, you know, some, most of them we no longer, you know, read or even we have never heard of some of the names. And one of them, I tried to, I mean, I, I found the introduction from Bowen interesting. It's about this French girl from the countryside writing about, you know, post-World War II, the rural France. I found that interesting and I tried to find, I tried to do a little bit of research. Nobody had ever heard of her. And, you know, even in France, nobody had ever heard of her. And the funny thing is eventually I found somewhere in a, in a, in a, in a library archive, there's a, English school mistress had a one sort of entry about this girl saying she was a fraud. So, you know, it's, it's one of those cases where you could not find enough things in history or in research. And I think, you know, we, you know, we novelists always love that when there are not enough information, <laughs> not enough stories. So it's, it opens up the space for us to make up stories. So that was where the novel started, was that little bit of, you know, fraudulent. It was a literary hoax, I suppose, you know, in history, but it was more than a hoax I was interested in. I wanted to write, you know, just someone forgotten by history. So um, I find this to be so juicy, especially as I read the novel, um, <laughs> And um, got to a headmistress who is a totally fascinating character. But so it's also about, right, like because this is this fraud, you have Agnes in the scrap of what you found. But what you don't have at all is Fabienne, who is totally. So can you talk about developing the relationship between the two of them? Yes. So, you know, I, I think from the very beginning, I knew I didn't want one girl to be in the, in, the, in the novel because that was just reproducing the original hoax, right? You know, one girl somehow, you know, made a fame and then got forgotten. I wanted two girls, mostly I just, I wanted to write a novel about friendship and about close friendship, you know, the, the, the intense friendship between two girls age 12 to 14, you know, that time, that moment before they turned into sort of, you know, young adult, they're still, they were still kids, but not, no longer little kids. So, so I just thought I wanted to write a novel about two girls, two friends, and they came together as a pair. And, and I, I think they came together because they kept making nonsense when I first started the novel. The very first day I wrote just like a dialogue between the two girls, they were discussing how to make, how to grow happiness. You know, do you grow happiness as a potato or do you grow happiness as beets? And if one crop failed, they still had another crop. So this was the whole conversation between the two girls saying, you know, how do we grow happiness? I was fascinated. I thought, you know, who are these girls talking about these things? 
And eventually, you know, Agnes said, "What if both crops failed?" And then the Fabian, the other character, said, "You know, then we'll we're becoming butchers. You know, we'll become butchers. We can just kill animals to feed ourselves." So it's their conversation, it's their sort of interaction that fascinated me, and I just started writing about their, all these nonsense they made up as games, and eventually, you know, that nonsense game became their book writing game. So we invited you on the show to talk about frenemies because we were reading the news and thinking about figures in the news, like Senator Joe Manchin, who uh, Whitney and I, I think both detest and and former attorney general bill barr um who's been in the news a bit lately although this was we did think of this before mansion finally got his act together and passed that legislation that, that the, <laughs> the inflation reduction act which i'm gonna but give him some I, credit I think for. he's um you know we were comparing him earlier to he often gets compared in the news to lucy from charlie brown who holds the football for charlie brown and then yanks <laughs> it away and i just think that he's gonna yank it away again at <laughs> but, but Agnes and Fabienne in the Book of Goose have such an intense and complicated relationship. And and I was thinking about whether a frenemy is someone who turns from a friend to an enemy, arguably, like Bill Barr, who's been in the news criticizing mm-hmm. Trump, but also saying he hopes that Trump isn't indicted, or someone more like Manchin, who, right, you're, you're friends with Manchin, he's in your party, and then he says um, that he's not actually aligned with you. And then he comes back to the fold and you're sort of in conversation again. So I'm curious about how you would define a frenemy and, and whether you would put Agnes and Fabienne into that category. Because as I read, I was I was certainly watching their dynamic and sort of thinking, um, I've had friends like both of these people and have maybe been, hopefully, hopefully I haven't been both of these people, but I'm curious about your definition. Right. Actually, it's such an interesting question because, you know, when you said friend of me and I started to think, I, first of all, I've never used that word in my life. That doesn't surprise <laughs> so, me. So I thought, what a great new word to learn or at least just to think about it. And I've been thinking, it's funny because I feel that I have friends. I don't know if I have enemy, but I can't tell if I have friend of me either. But I've been thinking about this concept and, you know, I was, I was thinking about, oh, I was looking at the trees too. You know, any, anytime I have a question, I look at the trees. And I was thinking, you know, when two trees grow next to each other, I probably can call them friends to each other, but they're not frenemy. They're not enemy to each other. So I think frenemy probably are two creatures or two people much closer than those two trees. You know, they, they grow into each other's space, they compete for something, but they also have to live with each other. They cannot live without each other. So I thought maybe frenemy is a kind of symbiotic relationship, but not mutually beneficial, also mutually detrimental. So that's probably how I would define this. I don't, I don't think I think of Fabian and Agnes as frenemy, but I, I think they are so close. They're, they're, this in, they're as friends, their relationship is so close. They probably start to, to harm each other, you know, but I think that's, deter- that's decided by the distance between the two girls. 
And I think frenemy, I I have a feeling that to me has a little bit of more intention. If you want to hurt each other, there's probably some motivation there, some intention there that I don't see in the girls' relationship. Interesting. I think that politics is a good place to look for frenemies, obviously, as we mentioned. But I do think also that the not not literature, but writing world is a good place to find where you find a lot of frenemies, right? Where you have people who are friends because it's mutually beneficial, but they're jealous of each other. And then if one person moves ahead in their career, the other one gets angry and begins to undermine them. I'm sure that all of you have had this happen. I've definitely had this happen. Uh, we don't talk about it very much, right? Because it's a dangerous topic and we're not going to mention any names. But I, you know, I certainly had examples of friends who I thought were my like close, close friends. And then at a certain point, our careers diverged and, and I found out, oh, that person's really not my friend. They did this thing that was very mean. And so I, and it's interesting that, you know, Agnes and Fabienne are engaged in a literary enterprise that I also think lends itself to that kind of Right. Who's going to get credit? Who should get credit? Where's the credit due? Who did the work? Who didn't do the work? All that sort of stuff. That's exactly. It's so interesting you mentioned that because if you put any other, you know, pair of writers collaborating together, I think this question of, you know, who gets the credit, who is not getting the credit and who's jealous of whom certainly will arise right away. Wait, okay, can I just back up a little and just say, you know, just going yeah. back to politics about frenemy, I was thinking about this famous case when I grew up, you know, we had these posters of political figures on our wall, you know, Chairman Mao is in the middle and Premier Zhou Enlai is next to him and then General Zhu is next to him. It turned out in that picture, original historical picture, there was another man who used to be Mao's closest ally. And that's the, that's the frenemy. And then he became the enemy. So what the, what the propaganda department did was to airbrush him out of the history book <laughs> and airbrushed him out of the poster. So now you get three figures on that poster instead of four. I think Milan Kandora also wrote that in East Europe, I think in Czechoslovakia, Slav Czech history, they also had one famous, you know, political figure airbrushed out of the poster. So which was interesting, I think, I think I do think frenemy is possibly more prominent in politics. Also in politics, they can really airbrush each other, you know, out of history book, they can, they can delete each other's existence. I, I think in writing, you know, it's possibly just people go two ways, you know, instead of, you know, I don't know, air, I think sort of eliminating another person's presence. That's, that to me is a, a, a quintessential way of looking at frenemy <laughs> because you cannot, you know, you cannot have this person in your life in the, in the most fundamental way. You cannot have this person's existence there anymore. So I wonder if you would read a little bit to us from the novel so our listeners can hear Agnes and, uh, and Fabienne together. So I think, you know, Sugi, you picked the, uh, you picked the part where um, the two girls now already wrote a book and the, parent, the, the publisher in Paris was interested in publishing the book. And so they were talking about what they were going to do when the book came out. Did they say September? Perfect. 
We can finish in the summer. When you go to Paris, you can drop a few hints about the new book. Fabian said later that evening, when I told her of the Parisian's visit. She did not seem to think much of the visit, and the arrangements for me to meet the press. She was making a willow whistle, cutting precisely the right length of a twig, and then twisting it gently. She was good at that. My hands were clumsy, and I either broke the twigs, or lost patience before the tender pith could be neatly separated from the green bark. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com/slash/ai-for-all. Why don't you want to have your name on the book? I asked. We can tell Monsieur Cheston we wrote the stories together. It's not too late. A book should just bear one name, Fabian said. Why not two? Fabian did not reply. Was this finally a question she could not answer? Why can't it be just your name? I asked. You wrote the stories down, she said. You made them up. I'm not interested in being an author. Why not? I'm fine being who I am. That couldn't possibly be true, I thought. And yet, who else could Fabian be? The girls at school were uninteresting. Swap one girl's clothes with another's. Switch one girl's parents with another's. What difference would it really make? All the girls, other than me, wanted the same things: to own a pair of stockings so their legs would not look bare and childish in their humiliating ankle socks; to have the best notebooks to record those song lyrics, sickeningly sweet words of dreams and loves and hearts; to be praised by the teachers, but more importantly, to be admired and envied by one another. To catch the attention of the right boys, I would have been one of them had had Fabian not been in my life. What a tragedy that would have been, living an interchangeable life, looking for interchangeable excitements. Why you look like a sad potato, Fabian said. What's wrong? I'm only thinking it's a pity that you don't want your name on the book. It would be a pity if I did want that," Fabian said. "Don't you see? No. Oh, you imbecile! Say I wanted to be an author. I would have my name on the book. I could tell people I have several more books in my head. Where would that leave you? What do you mean? I'm making this a two-person game. You're saying that one person, me, Fabian, could play the game alone. What would you do then? I can still write your stories down for you. I said, "You really don't understand, do you?" Fabian said, "How hard is it to write things down when you already have them in your head?" I could do it myself. Then what? I hesitated. 
I would watch you being an author, and I would be happy. No, you would be sad, Fabian said. I would? Yes, Fabian said. Because you would have no part in the game. The books would have nothing to do with you. And what happened to me would have nothing to do with you. Don't you see? I saw it then. I truly was an idiot. For not seeing all the losses I would have to endure. For not knowing that Fabian man minded how I could feel. So you see, I'll write the books and your name will be on them. We are equally essential. What we really need to do is to make you look believable, Fabian said. I don't see why people won't find you so. Believable in what way? I asked. I remembered Monsieur Chaston puffing on his cigarette and waiting for me to tackle a blank page. Would there be more tests like that? I had never told Fabian about that page I had written for Monsieur Chaston. Fabian sighed. When will you stop needing me to explain everything to you? When I get to Paris, I replied. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, that's a passage where Fabienne is actually genuinely being a friend, I think, and expressing her love and care for Agnes. I mean, there are other places where she is, I think, rougher on her. Um, uh, and in fact, toward the end of the book, they have a very similar conversation that turns out differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people have compared them, uh, Agnes and Fabienne, to Elena and Lila from Elena Ferrante's My Brilliant Friend. Not a bad comparison, mm-hmm. um, at least in terms of the talent of the author. Uh, I consider those two frenemies. Do you and can you think of, uh, do you think of them as frenemies? I guess we've already answered that question. But what are other literary models for this kind of relationship or character? You know, it was interesting because before people made that comparison, it did not occur to me. And when people started to make that comparison, all of a sudden it, I thought, oh, yeah, of course, you know, you can make that comparison. I think oftentimes it's, it's novels about young women, young girls. You, you would find those kind of uh, relationships. You know, one, one book came to me, came to my mind is uh, The Sweet Days of Discipline by uh, Flair Yegi, Yegi, I think that's how you say her name, the Swiss writer. You know, that book was also about two girls in a Swiss boarding school with this close, intense relationship, but also very cold. That book was cold. <laughs> that book, the whole book gives me a very cold feeling. But then, you know, we have the, the Mirror Sparks, the, the prime of Miss Jean Brody. That, you know, there are six girls in that novel, but I think the six girls are... They're all frenemies to each other, right? They, they, they love each other. They are close, but they betray each other. They abandon each other. So I, I, like, I, I think the Miss Jean Brody, those girls are quintessential frenemies to, like in my head. I was thinking about the same kind of question of gender that you brought up, and then I kind of went hunting for ones that were not like that. And I thought about the talented Mr. Ripley, um, and then I realized that... That's what I was just going to say. That's um, a great And then example. I found that our friends at Crime Reads, which is a part of Lit Hub, had actually put out an article about frenemies 
And then I wondered about the, in, in literature the association between frenemyship and crime. Um, because one of their other examples was Ooh. Clarice Starling and, and Hannibal Lecter. Um, and I was like, what a horrendous example. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, or there's, you know, a separate piece. Um, so there's some interesting like uh, examples. And, and I think you're right that a lot of it, there's often, if there's not a young person on both ends, there's a young person on at least one end of that relationship, someone who's like struggling for a kind of personal power. And I think in that in that um, previous conversation, I think like also I was thinking of I think of Elena and Lila as frenemies. And I think I'm I'm interested in your contention that that Agnes and Fabienne are, are not. And I think that you've hit on like that that note that makes a distinction between those two pairs, which is that Lila seems more intentionally cruel um, than Fabienne to me. Yes, I, I, it's funny because Fabian is crude, but she is who she is. She's, you know, I think part of her cruelty is also just where she is or who she is, like growing up in that environment. But also she has, she does have deep feeling for Agnes. And she, you know, towards the end of the books, especially, I think those three son when she made up a boy right she made a boy to carry on a love story with her best friend so again it's all fiction making it's all fabrication but i i think i i think you know i think frenemy i think earlier maybe one of you mentioned this concept of betrayal and abandonment and i think that happens often betrayal in a frenemy relationship. I don't think that betrayal is here. It's, you know, who neither of them betrays, you know, I don't think Agnes and, and, and Fabian betrayed each other, but I think what happens is they're pushed to the point that they can no longer continue their relationship in the same way because, you know, because of fame, because of the public intervention, because of the English finishing school, they, their life just you know, they used to be the same pairs, almost like twins, right? They, they describe themselves as the same orange, you know, one side facing the sun, much warmer, the other side facing the, in the shade, it's cooler, cool, colder. But they're, you know, the oranges, they're not the same orange anymore. It's, 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 it's cut open it's to become two, two half of the same orange, but they're no longer in the same orange shape so so i do think that betrayal comes from the world rather from within them and that's probably the distinction i would make for them not being called frenemy okay um that's really helpful okay we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, 
Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. And it has to do with power disparity, I think. Like in the beginning, there's a line that I remember Fabienne or Agnes says she hears Fabienne laugh in a certain way that she knows that she's about to do something that's like dangerous or like this is what the kind of laugh she does right before she pushes me into a river, you know, or something. I think it's something along those lines. So Fabienne has the power, that power of being able to violate uh, uh, social rules. And later, it Agnes has the power of wealth or at least security that Fabienne doesn't have. Does that seem Yes, I think, to say? I think that power, you know, the power dynamic and who's in control of what and who's manipulating whom to do things, that to me is always in a close relationship, you know, whether it's friendship or frenemy or, you know, there's just something about two people they're so close to each other, you know, they're sort of their contour, like their contours sort of press into each other. They become porous, you know, in a way, I think their lives bleed into each other's life. Why are you laughing with me? <laughs> You're just saying. I just was thinking, I just was thinking about Pence and Trump. <laughs> oh no, it is just, you know, there's no way to liberate them from each other in a way. I think they're pressed together, all that pressure. So, yeah, so I think in that case, you know, power and control and manipulation, I think those are the key elements of a such a close relationship. So we weren't going to, I wasn't going to ask you about the the um, the boy who Fabian invents on, on the theory that potentially was a right. spoiler, but you have raised him. And so I'm curious about this because oh. one of the things is like, right, if you have these two people who are so closely pressed into each other, one of the things about it is that there's there's no room for a third. And at various points in this narrative, there is a third that attempts to intrude. And for one reason or another, um, and in two of the cases, and I'm thinking of, um, there's a postmaster who is involved in the, in the early um, scheme to write the book. Um, and he sort of attempts to insert himself into that relationship and that doesn't work. Um, and then later mm-hmm. at the, when, when Agnes goes to, uh, as the real inspiration for your character did to this finishing school, there is a headmistress who kind of attempts the same thing. And then Agnes herself kind of tries to invite, um, a staff member at the school to almost assume like a greater importance in her life and that doesn't work either. And like at every turn, any attempt to make this a triangle fails, which is so interesting as like a kind of narrative escalation. It's really fascinating. Right, right. You know, it's it's that's exactly right. You know, that triangulation, for instance, when we like when we talk, I don't know, I think Sugi, when you and I were in the workshop together, you know, like the triangulation of characters, you know, triangles were often talked about in the workshop. But sometimes, as you said, when two people are so close, there's not a third point available or allowed. And I think the narrative, the continuous introduction of the third point or a triangle, actually was exactly for that reason is they are so close, they cannot allow a third person 
real person in in the relationship. On the other hand, I thought that was also where Fabian was so imaginative. You know, she knew there was not going to be a real person in their relationship, so she made up a boy, and that boy seemed to have done some harm to both of them in the end. So we were talking before about、um, the headmistress character, and I love the headmistress character in this book. I mean, because again, <laughs> such a complex figure, and she positions herself as a benefactress, but is often actually just brutally cruel.、Um, kind of, I don't know, in the fine tradition of headmistresses at English schools in literature. <laughs>、um, and her name is Antonia Townsend, and and I was I found myself trying to figure out the sincerity of her intentions. And then I realized, like as you were referring to before, that's another characteristic or question I associate with frenemies: that there's a friend who can't discern the 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 goodness of the other person's intentions. You know, even if their notion of good doesn't align with theirs, do they think they're doing good? So I wonder if you think Mrs. Townsend falls into our frenemy category, or whether she's just a flat-out villainess. No, she's not a flat-out villain. Although she is very frightening to me too. I, I, there, there are moments she's just. Too evil, but I do think she actually has some good intention. But she also has some sort of calculation where and what she can gain from the scheme, right? You know, any time a hoax happens, it's it's because some people wants to make some gain. And I think Miss Mrs. Townsend thinks you know she can gain something, but. While she's gaining something from the scheme, I think Agnes also gains from the scheme. So that probably is a little bit like you know, like symbiotic relationship. They can both get something out of this hoax. Yes, I then of course in a way I think she's probably more a frenemy in this novel than anybody else. <laughs> So we've discussed other literary examples of frenemies. I want to put in one for、uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which is an interesting example of a frenemy in the same body.、Um, but what about let's let's talk about other political examples of frenemies, or maybe even celebrity examples of frenemies. We've mentioned uh, uh, Barr and Mansion and、uh, Trump and Pence. I do. I did hear recently a story about、uh, Richard Nixon when he was、uh, Eisenhower's vice president, and Eisenhower just had a had a heart attack, and they were walking up a flight of stairs, and Nixon looked over at Eisenhower and said, "Race you to the top," and、um, that was a kind of frenemy <laughs> statement to, to make. <laughs> so dark. My goodness. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, do you can you think of any other of your favorite frenemies from our public sphere? I mean, other okay. So I have to admit, I I am not familiar enough, but I feel like all the public figures or politics political figures they probably are all frenemies to each other. That's my imagination. But I mean, historically, if I read history. You know, if you look at, I'm sorry to go back to War and Peace, but if you look at Napoleon, Napoleon, and 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 the 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 Tsar and the the Prussian king, when they had like a lovely meeting, they were all friends. They all praised each other, and then they became enemies again. They were at war again. It was all fluid, and it was all about, you know, what 
world that warfare needed at the moment. So, so those three kings or three emperors' meetings, those three emperors were also the quintessential, you know, public figures as frenemies. I mean, even Napoleon in the letter called the Tsar, you know, my brother, my dear friend, you know, is <laughs> also my enemy, right? In the war declaration. So maybe there's something there about diplomacy, like maybe being a frenemy enables you to be the person who does the negotiating. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When I went looking for examples in the political world today, I know Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton have launched a podcast. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say like a a sad rival to ours, of course, but um, there is (laughs) then when I was Googling this, um, I came up with Chelsea Clinton saying that she's no longer friends with Ivanka Trump. And I was like, when were you ever friends? And yeah, and so them sort of talking about, you know, the, the strange the their roles in history being somewhat similar and then of course staggeringly different and then there is like this kind of public obsession with the question of frenemyship like there has been there's a movie out um or a movie coming out called don't worry darling uh, which is directed by olivia wilde and a lot of entertainment news recently has been dominated by the question of whether the director of this movie is fighting with all of her cast and whether the cast is all fighting with each other So, you know, did one cast member spit on another? A real question in the news that people care about. And it... Harry Styles, you're talking about. I'm glad that Whitney also knows this. Because I'm just... I'm taking taking the class factor of this. You know, we've gone directly from War and Peace to Harry Styles. Take note. Um, But but yeah, I think that, um, like, people are wondering about the question of, like, are you really fighting or are you not? And I don't know, like, then in you have all these diplomats who are kind of in the same fulcrum position of maybe pretending to be friends. Like who, who are the people who are still talking to Putin? Yeah. I don't know who his frenemies are, but I, I, I thought of one, I'll say one from Missouri, local Missouri politics. There was a centrist Republican Senator named Jack Danforth, who's now a minister in St. Louis. And um, he uh, took on J- uh, Josh Hawley as a protege and I think Josh Hawley needed his help and like pretended to be his friend and had no interest in being, uh, you know, the kind of centrist, decent person that Jack Danforth for the most part is. And now Jack Danforth has renounced Josh Hawley and like said, I don't know what happened to this kid. Why did he turn out this way? I don't know. But there was a frenemy kind of power relationship there, at least on Josh Hawley's part, I would say, our senator, uh, who turned out to be a very dark figure. Um, and but needed was was probably much nicer to Jack Danforth when he needed Jack Danforth's support and endorsement. Well, now that can I ask a question? Can I ask you two a question? Because we've talked about frenemies in literature and in politics. It seems to me frenemies in literature are much more interesting than in real politics. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about that? I think that's probably right. Well. I- I sure don't want to read any novels about Josh Hawley. I mean, maybe I would actually read a novel by you about Josh Hawley. I just don't want to read anything by Josh Hawley. <laughs> I don't want to read a novel about Ivanka Trump and <laughs> Chelsea Clinton, right? No, I mean, it just sounds so flat. Uh- 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you I think you make a good point. Maybe then the intersection is right, like novels about politicians, like all the king's men. I think the difference is that Josh Hawley shows no regret for what he did. But in this novel, you know, in your novel, again, we've established they probably aren't frenemies, but but they're that that their intensity and their their caring for each other internally is able to be represented in a way that in the public sphere, when two people are feuding, you can't really get that or feel that. Right. You know, did Josh Hawley in his real personal self feel a regret when Jack Danforth says, I re- renounce you. I don't know. I don't <laughs> care. But I would care. I do care about Agnes and Fabienne and that they are sad to be parted or driven apart by the world. You know, and that's sort of what the novel turns on. So that in that way, that literature allows access to interna- internality that political uh, actions don't. Right. And, and, and in literature, I think, also offers a little bit more, you know, backstories. I guess your politicians, you know, we don't know their backstories. They just appear in our view as two public figures. Well, on that note, Ian, we so appreciate your joining us for this conversation and to talk about the Book of Goose. And listeners, don't miss this fabulous novel. It is out September 20th. Thank you so much, Bose, for having me. That's it for this episode of the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast on Literary Hub. This show is produced by Ann Kinnigendorf. To subscribe to Fiction Nonfiction, please type fiction slash non slash fiction into your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear your ideas and feedback. You can reach us at fictionnonfictionpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Facebook at FNF Pod, and on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. In each of these places, you'll find links to our LitHub radio show notes, including some of the readings we mentioned in this episode. You can also find video versions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Our website, with a full video and audio archive, and episodes grouped by theme for educators, is at fnfpodcast.net. Until next time, stay safe and healthy out there.